The Daniel Ruiz Tyson Podcast. Hey, how you doing? This is the Daniel Ruiz Tyson Podcast with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Never going bald. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie to you. That's probably helped me get quite a few women, but... After a few months, they inevitably get bored with their hair. They want to see something else. And then they realize, uh, I don't have much more to offer. That's that's when the problems start. I really am all about the hair. Show 35, Thursday, 17th of November 2011. Coming to you from SW8. Love, loss, and lattes. Lots of lattes. Way too many lattes. Um... Every time I get the cables, I've got a little corner developing here at my desk full of like headphones and cables and adapters. And uh, this is also a little kind of shrine to uh, uh, to, to my mum, a picture of my mum here in the corner and lots of her little elephants. She used to collect elephants. And unfortunately, this little spot has also become the spot where, as I say, I keep the headphones. And every time I'm trying to get a pair of headphones to do this show, everything just goes flying. So the start of the show has been delayed a by about 10 minutes, the whole little corner here is looking a bit chaotic, a mixture of elephants, pictures, adapters, headsets, and a little crucifix here as well, a watch, a nasal inhaler, a little pocket dictionary, so it's a messy desk, it's a messy desk, every time I had a job that had a hot desk in policy, and a clear desk policy, that wasn't for me. Chili is always in this flat, three uh, tracksuit, well, two tracksuit bottoms on and a pair of corduroys. Uh, been venturing out with the tracksuit under the jeans the last few days. Probably a little too early for that, maybe with the exception of yesterday, which was cold. It does uh, it does worry me how I'll cope when January and February come around. I, I just seem to be getting colder every winter. Um, I Last year I actually uh, endured a winter without a scarf. This year I brought the scarf back. Um... But uh, trouser-wise, I've never had this problem. I've never felt so much cold in my legs. Um, been going around with five tops as well, which has kind of given me a massive chest. Like, uh, there was this diminutive, massive-chested Spanish footballer who captained the national team in the late 80s called Victor. Played for Barcelona. Uh, played for Sampdoria. I think he was moved on just before Cruyff assembled the dream team. He had a spell at St. Mirren in the early 90s. Very strange-looking guy. Looked like something out of uh, In the Name of the Rose. Uh, that uh, Sean Connery film, which is... There's probably never been a film with an uglier cast of actors, actually. Uh, also includes the uh, magnificent Ron Perlman, who's uh, brilliant in Sons of Anarchy. Um, yeah, so uh, feeling the cold. But uh, this evening, uh, down to uh, just three tops. Uh, Going to see how it goes. May have to stop the show to uh, put on a, an extra jumper as we go on. I'll see. Thanks to those of you who took the time to rate and review the show on iTunes in the last week. That's a, that's a step in the right direction for the show. Thank you very much. Ways to get in contact with the show as always via Twitter at 1607westegg. Email me drt at westegg1607.co.uk. I'm not a fan of the acronym, uh, the whole DRT thing, uh, but it just makes the email address easier rather than uh, saying my full name. Or you could alternatively uh, just put Daniel. It's, it's still going to come to me. Uh, join the Facebook uh, group as well, the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. I request to join, and I'll add you on there. I've been um, stressed again the last few days, particularly the first two days this week. I'm definitely a heart attack candidate. Um, no surprise there, given given my both my parents went out that way. I've yet to uh, contact uh, the uh, vascular screening people who were offering me that free health test. 
I can just feel, particularly the first couple of days, I could just feel that tension just nestling in my chest. When I ended up uh, in hospital back in the summer, naked, being checked by nurses and, and handling it well, uh, you know, that stood me in good stead because, uh, as I've said before, uh, I now know that I can do that. If, if that's the future, if I do end up doing a long-term hospital stay and, uh, you know, I've got to have all sorts of checks, I, I, I think I can handle that kind of bit now. Um, I've got to look at it. It might be difficult for them. There may be some sort of mutual attraction there and, uh, uh, you know, they can't do anything about it because they would be crossing those professional boundaries. Having said that, you've got people like Stephen Hawking who ended up marrying his nurse. I've always wondered how that works. Maybe nurses spend so much time with you, they become attracted to you. You know, a blurring of boundaries there. But anyway, I ended up there because because of the same thing, an inability to relax. Uh, um, I'll give you some examples. Four years ago when the wheels were turning in my life, and here we go, let me just see who that is. Hello? Another marketing call. This is a new number. I don't know what it is with BT. I only moved here back in May. Brand new number. Calls every day from marketing companies. Anyway, yeah, four years ago, the wheels were turning on in my turning in my life. I began to notice I, I kept losing my voice. Felt like I constantly had a sore throat, but the sore throat wasn't coming through. Kept going to the doctors, sent to hospital. In the end, they told me they uh, needed to run some tests. Um, I had to go to work that afternoon. My uncle came with me. I declined the uh, option of an anaesthetic. Um, I had this tube put down my throat the longest five minutes of my life and they told me it was a hiatus hernia. I read up on it, it was brought on by stress, which is why my voice was breaking. Uh, you know, and a few months ago earlier, some of the nurses suspected I might have a proper hernia, you know, one of them kind of old man's hernias that, you know, you end up going around looking like you've got a, a, a massive tumour in your in your, in, your, in your trousers, if it's, uh, you know, you, you go around, you're sitting on a bus on the lower deck with a, in a pair of elasticated trousers and some eight-year-old kid is looking at you thinking, what the hell is going on there? Um, I'm a, a million miles away from that stage, but, you know, kind of when I get stressed out, I feel a pain down there. And I, it's, 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 it's the stress thing. It's the inability to switch off. Um... And I always realize I need to calm down. I'm calmer in terms of being able to function and make better decisions. But the whole downing tools and relaxing, I'm just not very good at that. Even uh, late at night, you know, I'll knock this show out. Well, it's coming up to about 7 o'clock now. Uh, show should be up by about 9. Uh, you know, I'll still be on the PC maybe about midnight, uh, testing my knowledge of skin diseases, processing image after image on, you know, on Google. Uh, and testing myself, testing to see if I can identify the skin condition. And I've looked at hundreds of thousands of these pictures now over the last couple of years. I'm just obsessed with them. And it it's, a, it's a hangover from that book that my dad had when I was a kid, the book on skin diseases. I became just obsessed with this. And, you know, I live on my own. I could be viewing porn. Really, you'd think I'd be viewing porn. But no, I'm viewing, you know, I'm looking at, pictures of skin conditions how sad is that why am i doing it it's too late for me to become a dermatologist you know as i've said you bring me your your skin conditions you send me pictures of any sort of spots or pimples or markings and i will tell you what it is i have mentioned before well frequently how living on my own does concern me you do think and i've spoken to people who live on their own and they do it is something that is constantly on your mind who's going to find you if something happens 
And uh, I think about that a lot at the moment because at night I feel that tension. I'm not going to bed when I should be going to bed. I don't enjoy going to bed. That's nothing with being on my own. That's That was always a problem even in relationships. I'm not. I'm a bad sleeper. And the older I get, the more I recognize that is, uh, you know, that could have serious health uh uh, could give me serious health issues in the future if I'm not resting. I, I don't buy this whole, you know, Margaret Thatcher four hours a night thing. I'm sure that's a, that that was a myth. Um, I'll maybe squeeze in ten minutes meditation last thing at night a couple of times a week. Uh, I still got to get one key cut actually. Uh, I've been here six months. I still haven't got a spare complete set of uh, spare keys cut. And uh, you know. I'll be handing out that, that spare set of keys to Martin. He's my most frequent visitor. It'll fall to him, really, to find me if something happens. Uh, he'll be coming here probably with my aunt. She'll be concerned. She'll be talking to him, calling him by the wrong name. She never gets my friend's names right. It's always embarrassing. Martin will be thinking, what on earth is this woman saying? I don't understand her. How long has she been in this country? And it'll be him who finds me. He won't know my aunt too well. They'll have that awkward moment. He'll have to hold her. I don't think Martin's a very kind of... I don't think he likes hugging. I don't think he'd like to be hugged. I think he'd struggle with that moment to, to comfort my aunt. Before I go to bed at night, I look in the mirror topless and I think, you know, not bad. Whoever finds me a week or two after anybody last heard from me, they're going to look beyond the blue bottles flying about the flat and the empty tins of basic cream and tomato soup. And, you know, they recognize, you know, they will acknowledge, perhaps not to the other person, but internally they'll think, man, that guy was in shape. I didn't notice it under his five tops, but but he was in good shape. Decent torso. I'm a good-looking guy. I run myself down, go on about my shortcomings, but perhaps from now on I ought to devote five minutes on each show just simply eulogizing my looks. The problem with uh, if something happened in the winter, the torso wouldn't get noticed. You know, I'd be wearing so many tops in bed. The paramedics had come in. Uh, they'd wonder if I'd been simply crushed to death by all the extra bedding that I've got on the bed at the moment rather than a, a heart attack. I don't know. It's something I've got to address. Even if I was loaded, I'd struggle to find some way of enjoying that money. Uh, the interests beyond writing, they're just not there. I think it'd be a case of if I had the money, I, I, I feel that pull again. You know, I'd just go abroad, get away from everything and, and try and uh, start a new life. It'd just be great to... to you know, flick the finger to to so much of uh, the rubbish that's here, the streets, all the crap admin jobs. You know, as I said earlier on Twitter, you know, early man, 160,000 years ago, uh, moved out of Africa, four, four tribes, four tribes of uh, early man, and uh, that's, that's how we're all here, and they kind of spread out into the world. How did we go from that to all these awful jobs that are out there? How necessary are so many of these jobs? There's got to be a better way of the world functioning. I think I'd rather have been out there just hunting animals and that was it, and maybe sleeping in a cave. The prospect of stepping into some office to do some horrific job, it, it, it just jars. It absolutely jars with me. Anyway, just before the show, I went off to my aunt's to get uh, Thursday's dinner. Um, I've, I've, we've got this arrangement going on. I've not been able to stop it. I think part of that, or a big part of that reason now is, uh, you know, I can manage without that dinner. It's very kind of my aunt to, to cook for me once a week. Uh, it saves me a load of hassle. 
and more often than not it's uh, it's 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 nice food um but i think i'm maintaining this whilst i live uh you know whilst i live on my own because if one week she keeps calling me on the thursday and i don't answer she's going to know that something's happened she's going to alert you know she's going to alert my friends this dinner from my aunt has taken on huge significance so anyway i head on down there always lucky to make it back from there she only lives five minutes away but it's gang country both sides of that uh clapham road now it just used to be on one side opposite stockwell station just a slightly further up on that estate uh but now it's both sides something happened in the summer i don't know what the police did but it's pushed the problem out there's also a big uh grocers that's opened on the side where you've always got the gang activity and i think that may have pushed uh many of the gang to the other side so it's a bit of a lottery walking down there now there's no refuge from it you just got to go through it and you kind of think uh, okay on my way back you know i'm going to walk back on the other side see if there's less of them uh there's very little difference to be honest it makes it, it makes no difference but anyway this week uh i get a spanish potato tortilla from my aunt no girl even spanish girls that i've been with can make this properly this is a dying skill the flip over defeats so many women they don't have the uh, the right pans as well and you don't really want to say to them well my mum used to do it like this my aunt does it like this that's just going to irritate a woman they don't want to know how your mum or aunt used to make stuff this is how they're making it you will be grateful so uh i get the tortilla and uh, you know i'll be having that after i finish recording this week's show i get into a lift my aunt's block i'm, I'm going down from high up descending to the ground floor there's a gang member in the lift whose phone goes off in the lift he answers it speaking in that bizarre street lingo that's you know anyone under 25 seems to talk or uh, talk in nowadays i check my phone obviously i've got no bars this gang member must have some sort of satellite phone he's having no problems maintaining his conversation always gang members get reception in phones unbelievable come out the lifts old lady coming towards us he opens the door goes out first doesn't hold the door open for her i take the door hold it open for the old woman she looks surprised my good deed for the day i felt good i recorded the sound i made actually let me uh let me just uh play for you this is the sound i made uh in the moments after i opened the door for this woman i felt good that's how i felt that was my sound that was my sound uh it was it was it, it was a good moment so I left my aunt's block, I'm turning left, and I've got my Clapham eyes. You know, the eyes I used to use in the uh, late 80s in Clapham to avoid people I knew. I'd be walking down the high street, I'd be looking 60 yards in front of me. Anyone I knew, I'd just start off into some side street. And uh, I'm about to turn left, and uh, 50 yards down the road, I spot my aunt's uh, Spanish neighbours. The little woman, big blonde hair, which is a, you know, universal look really for a Spanish woman over 50. Big, big perm, big fluffy hair alongside her tiny sparrow-chested husband i've mentioned it before on the show he always urinates on the street claims to have a condition i'd be a little more sympathetic to the condition if he carried uh, hand gel a handshake from him on the street kills me i mean it really uh, it is an issue for me it's killed me so many times i once had problems getting to martin's house because this guy was sat on some benches um and i couldn't get past him and I had to call Martin and tell him I was doing. I, I was going to have to take a long route to get to his house. And it's the handshake. You know, I can do the small talk with this guy. It's going to be a painful five minutes. But the handshake, I don't like the handshake. 
So I was in a panic. I was like, what, what do I do? So I turned for Brixton, then I decided, well, that was ridiculous. That's too much. So I decided to do a right, walk the long way around my aunt's block, dark, look, looking dodgy. My movements look uncertain. I'm looking furtive. Bump into the plastic police. And I'm carrying uh, my tortilla in a holdall. Uh, and I've got my clothes in there as well. You know, uh, uh, I've had uh, some of my shirts chewed up in the washing machine, so uh, every few weeks I'll give uh, some shirts to my aunt, and she washes them for me very kindly. So I've got some shirts and the tortilla in this bag. So uh, the police stopping me, they're looking in the bag, they see the tortilla, they ask about the omelette, I tell them it's a tortilla, we get into what the differences are about a tortilla and an omelette. I, I, I explain to them a tortilla is deeper than, a, than an omelette. Uh, a Spanish omelette, though, is referred to as a tortilla, just to uh, confuse things. And all the while I'm thinking, shouldn't this uh, kid be tackling the gangs in Clapham Road rather than stopping a middle-aged, admittedly good-looking man who looks 10 years younger with a tortilla? So after a couple of minutes of uh, asking a couple, uh, answering a couple of questions, I'm, uh, I'm allowed to be on my way. He tells me to enjoy the omelette. Uh, uh, this is after I've given him the tortilla speech. He walks on in the opposite direction to the gang, of course. You know, let's not tackle the gangs. Let's leave the gangs there. You know, Stockwell. We don't mind gangs. We like gangs. Well, we don't want anything done about the gangs. Of course not. I carry on walking towards Stockwell Station. There's another two young coppers there not doing much. Again, away from the troubles that ruin my neighbourhood. And on the way there, I passed Mr. Scott Sari, who was the uh, first ever boss to sack me in the uh, summer of 83. Used to run a fruit store where there's a clothes shop now in Clapham Road. It was called Stockwell Fruiters, and uh, I worked there for about a week. I was uh, 11 years old and uh, refused to pay me. And uh, I just remembered how I'd struggled lifting up these huge sacks of potatoes and uh, stood my ground, uh, demanded my money. He sacked me and I never got my money. That was my first ever sacking. Anyway, I carried on my journey with the uh, tortilla, and then I'm walking behind this uh, weirdo with long Peter Shilton arms and a red Nike jacket, who proceeded to rub every woman walking towards him during the couple of minutes I was behind him. That's Stockwell. But uh, I'm pleased to report the tortilla arrived here safely. You're listening to the Daniel Ruse Tyson podcast. So I appear to have wrestled the cafe back from that uh, uh, friend's mum that was encroaching upon my time in there a couple of months back. It's been difficult. I had to basically stay out of the way for four or five weeks. I've started going back there at different times over the last couple of weeks, spending a bit more time there in the mornings, uh, going there about 11am and staying there till after midday. She's not been in there, so that's a good sign. Having said that, Focus has been shot this week, not done much on the uh, book. As I said, stressed, definitely jaded. I think the key to this year was accepting defeat. I did that. It was hard, but I did that because no matter how I look at it, I can dress it up. I can say, uh, well, I do this, I do that. I've done the stand-up, I've got the shows, uh, I've got done loads of writing. But uh, ultimately, there's nothing really about this year uh, that was a triumph. I lost in every way. I accepted that. I don't have a problem with that anymore. What was meant to emerge from that period, though, uh, was an ability where I could simply down tools and try and relax. Now, I think I'm a calmer guy these days and nowhere near as anxious as I used to be. I approach situations better. But it is that struggle not to do anything. I've got, you know, hundreds of books in the house. All I've read is 30 pages this week. Uh 
great book, Friday Night Lights. Uh, my sister got it for me. Uh, sports books, uh, American sports books, even though I don't like American sports, are so much better than their British counterparts. And it's a great book. And, you know, a few years ago, I would have caned it in two or three days. But that uh, that attention span is just not there anymore. I'm restless. I'm resisting the urge to try, you know, return to stand-up right now while I, I work on the book. Yeah, I'm finding that hard. I think the thing that the stand-up gave me, although I, I don't like the circuit and I wasn't too enamoured with the people, um, I knew that before I went into it. But it seemed to validate the direction I was going in. I'd, I'd come home in the evenings, or, you know, if it was a good gig, that sense of relief it would it would give me something i uh, i felt like i was doing something you know you're doing a podcast you're hiding no one can answer you back it's completely different it's completely different being funny on a podcaster to trying to be funny on stage so that temptation's there and then i think well what's that going to do to the book and it's so far i'm resisting it and uh, that's a good thing i've got to keep my focus narrow because it's shot as it is so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, definitely bored. Definitely struggling with the boredom. I was on my way to the uh, cafe today, and I, I saw one of the waiters across the road running for a southbound number two that had just pulled up at the bus stop. He was a considerable distance away. Uh, I, I'd have been very, very impressed if he'd managed to catch the bus up, but he was certainly determined to. He had his running face on, probably similar to uh, his bedroom face. Um, I don't think there'd be too much difference between those expressions. It was a big ask. It was a fair distance away, but he was going for it until, that is, he saw me and then he decided against it, which is a good decision because if I'd seen him fail to make the bus, it might have been awkward. I think he might have felt that he now cut a, a diminished figure in my eyes. So I was impressed with his uh, decision uh, making in there in that moment. Then I, I carried on walking. I, I went into the cafe. There was a guy in the cafe. He was holding a friend's baby and he was cooing. You know, I'm always suspicious of these guys. I think often this cooing is done to impress women. We know, we, guys know it's a good look. To, we, we know women are watching to see what we're like with kids. Everything with women is a test. The reality may be that we're pissed off a woman's turned up with their kids because the kid's annoying, but we also know at the back of our minds female eyes are on us and... Uh, we pick the kid up and we talk to it when we know it's about six months away from saying its first word. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it at all. Uh, quick Nectar Points update. Where are we on the Nectar Points update? Um, actually, I don't have a Nectar Points update. It's weird. Sometimes you get these receipts and they don't have your points on there. Oh, that's because it was under a pound. Uh, I've had this problem this week in that the uh, basic cream of tomato soups have disappeared from Sainsbury's. Um, the next one up is uh, 56p, so that's what I've uh, bought today. Okay, here's the latest uh, receipt. What are my points? I don't think this is it. I I don't know what's going on. 8th of November. Alright, this is... Okay, that's no good. So that's... There's receipts all over the place. I never chuck them away for the purpose of this show. What are these? What is the date? The date today is the 17th. Where is the date on the... Okay, 16th. This is the best I can do, the 16th. Is there a... 
Why am I not getting my points on here? Okay, here we go, here we go. Opening balance yesterday, 125 points earned. Four takes me to 129. No bag reuse. Uh, what did I get? Uh, I, had, I bought some stir-fry yesterday, uh, some uh, 16 paracetamol uh, caplets and a black notebook. So 129 points slightly slowed down this week. If you remember last week, I had a strong opening after cashing in my 500 uh, with a copy of the Observer. So uh, it could be in the next four or five weeks I managed to get myself another copy of the uh, Observer. If I was in a relationship, I'd probably uh, be able to get the Observer uh, at least uh, maybe once or twice a month. I'd be racking up those nectar points. Had an email from Claire, if you remember last week, labels, uh, the, the similarity of the labels uh, between tomato soup and chicken soup, the uh, basic range, confused me. And as I was reading out my Nectar Points update on last week's show, I realized that I'd bought a chicken soup instead. I, I'm not a fan of chicken soup, so I was very disappointed. I wanted to give it away. Claire emailed in, though. She says, keep the chicken soup. Taking it back to uh, Tesco's, it was actually uh, Sainsbury's, uh, will just be you exerting control in a situation where you uh, would be channeling let me say that again where you would be channeling too much energy into something not worthy of your time you're trying to move away from that daniel remember you're no longer the guy who fusses over the trivial let it go let it go the soup the packaging the fact that you have no comforting cream of tomato in your cupboard at present is just life shit happens minor irritations that's all why not keep the soup? Live with it. Then every time you have a face-off with it, as you open your cupboard door, it can serve as a reminder to you of how you're letting the small things go. Start small. One day, who knows, maybe you'll be able to offer that soup to someone and they'll thank you for it. That would be very, uh, very rewarding. 17p. What price symbolism? What a price, a reminder of how you're moving forward. Exactly. Anyway, it's up to you, but that's all I wanted to say. Keep the soup, Daniel. Keep the soup. Bye for now. Claire. I want to get rid of that tin. It's it is irritating me, but I'm not making it a priority. But it is irritating me every time I I open that cupboard door. What the reason it's irritating me now is because there's no more basic cream of tomato soup. You know, over the last few years, I've lost my A6 notebooks at W H Smith. They were discontinued. Uh, they, they, they 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 you can still find them in some shops, but they went from a 79p to two pounds. And I did work at a paper supplier, and I do know that the price of paper has rocketed in the last couple of years. But, you know, every time I get into something, it's like when I was got into Tears of Fears, take that broke through. And every time I went to a record shop to track down Tears of Fears, B-sides and so on, I'd have to, I'd be there next to the take that section. Everything was take that. You could barely find Tears for Fears. Anyway, anyway, minor irritations. Every time I, I, I go into that Sainsbury's in Nine Elms, I go to the cigarette counter because uh, there's always a shorter queue. But the woman they stick on the cigarette counter, she is so miserable. Never bags up for you. You have to ask her for a bag. There's no communication. She just grunts. You know, I worked there 20 years ago for three weeks. Only one Saturday afternoon on the tills, and that was frightening because I'd, I'd, I'd grown up working in Woolies, small scale. But uh, man alive, Sainsbury's was like... Uh, that was factory work. I was uh, I was 19, and I was only there for three weeks. And uh, my final Saturday, I turned up to be told that a load of uh, the last intake of Saturday kids were being made redundant with just one day's notice. We were told we could collect our wages at the end of the day. That just struck me, even at that age, as the wrong way to treat people. 
And uh, Woolies had toughened me up because I'd been, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like the manager there. I felt he had it in for me. And he, you know, now someone like that, I would just kill them. But at that age, I was really struggling with them. You know, the, the, the training induction at Sainsbury's, you know, you had to learn to identify different fruits. It was just, uh, it was awful. So I just said to them, look, pay me now and I'll go. I can't find any motivation to work knowing I've just lost my job. It, you know, I wasn't looking forward to working there anyway. I'd had a glimpse of what life was like on the tills. I didn't want to do it. I didn't like working in the warehouse. They said, no, you've got to work, then you get your money. I went to the other Saturday staff. None of them other, you know, won't say the word. None of them backed me up. And they were shocked because as a new guy, they, they some of them were trying to push me around. They were now seeing another side to me. I took my uniform off. I knocked on one of the manager's offices, handed them my uniform. They said, you do know you're not going to get paid. I told them I didn't care about the money. And they were shocked because this was a 19-year-old telling them, you know, they were going, they didn't care about the money. I walked out of there and uh, they never saw me again. I didn't care about the money. Had a similar incident last year, you know, 20 years on, where, you know, a load of us knew we were going to be losing our jobs and uh, we were called in for a big meeting. The employer was never straight with us, you know, always kept us guessing and stressing about whether we were going to lose our jobs or not. And they told us they wanted, uh, you know, our feedback on our experience there at the company. And I questioned that. How, how could you be motivated to, to give feedback when your primary concern was that you were going to be losing your job? And, you know, last year I lost everything, remember. I'd lost the flat. And as a result of losing the job, you know, the girlfriend walked. And I told them, I pointed out that there were a load of us in the same boat. And it was difficult. And they just said, don't you care about your legacy? And no, no, I don't. I cared about being out of work. I cared about hanging on to my relationship. I cared about finding a home. I cared about my colleagues being out of work. I cared about what was already happening to my life. No time for legacy. And I made my feelings known that day in a big meeting, and I remember asking myself why I'd done that again. Why couldn't I just shut my big mouth and, you know, just lie low, stay under the radar? I'd been kicked out of so many places for sticking up for myself and for others, and you never win. And I'd done it again, and it marked my card, and, uh, you know, I was out. And I'm not sure there's a connection here. Uh, but, you know, all this talk in uh, recent weeks of the whole, you know, Occupy Wall Street stuff and the St. Paul's occupation and the Finsbury Square occupation and people think it's exciting. And I, you know, I'm not rubbishing the cause. I just wish I had a life that maybe allowed me to become a little more passionate about causes. I mean, I've surprised myself with my charity thing this year and seeing other causes that people are getting behind and have going. And I'm determined in future that I will pay more attention to that and contribute more to these charities, not just financially, but in terms of giving up some time for them. And, you know, I've got my interview at the hospital on the Monday, uh, this Monday coming, because I'm serious, you know, I want to get out there on those wards. I want to do something. I want to, you know, I want to feel useful. Um, I declined the option of reading to, to old people. I just thought, you know what, all I'm going to be doing here is visualizing myself in 20 30 years time being read to by some person that hasn't even been born yet they're going to go in a couple of hours i'll be worrying about whether some intruder is going to come in and assault me overnight i thought that'd be a step too far for me but the whole occupation thing you know a friend of mine has, has, has frequently said how he resents the middle class kids coming to our city and our city frequently getting our uh, you know getting trashed and i do resent that and it's about 
whether you're able or not to get behind a cause. I'm struggling day in, day out with my life, as are many people that I know. I don't have the support that many of these kids have. Uh, and, you know, I just get wound up by these Trustafarians, these white kids with dreadlocks. You know, and the other day I saw the uh, Gilmore kid, the Pink Floyd kid, uh, the, the kid whose dad from Pink, is from Pink Floyd, you know, be it coming out on parole, being picked up by his dad and a chauffeur. You know, what kind of world is that? I'm not saying he should, shouldn't be given parole. I'm just saying what kind of world is that you get picked up by a chauffeur? You know, there was talk of uh, one of the leaders of this uh, fortune, uh, sorry, this, this occupation turned... His back on his family's fortune three years ago. He lived in his dad's five million pound mansion. You know, I'd have loved the opportunity to walk away from that kind of life. I'm in this bubble like many people are, where we are caught up in a whirlwind that's hard to escape, where everything is going up, where you can't turn on your heating. And yet, I remind myself that this is probably easier than the recession 30 years ago, because you can just stay, all, stay in all day on the internet whilst you've still got your connection, trying to find ways to resolve it. 30 years ago, our parents had to leave you in the house and traipse around making direct approaches for employment. I've never been comfortable with money. I've never been comfortable around materialistic people. I've never been able to motivate myself to work for something simply so that I can have something, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. I know money is necessary. You know, I'm not naive. I know that I'm at a point in my life where so many things need replacing and I can't replace them. I know that it's important for someone with a flawed temperament like me to own his own home, to simply avoid dealing with landlords and letting agents. But beyond resolving that, I don't know. I'd love to get back to earning the kind of salary which could see me up and leave and go and live abroad, for instance. That was the dream a few years ago, and the one I, you know, one I came close to realizing. You know, I'm tired of these streets. You know, these streets are hard streets. I'm tired of seeing fights. I'm tired of the massive police presence I've seen in the last week or so. You know, I get lots of emails from uh, listeners to, uh, constantly commenting on the police sirens you often hear in this podcast. That's what it's like around here. Gangs, drugs, shootings, knifings. It does wear you down. And yet, it still doesn't drive me on to, to, to push myself to try and earn better money. I'm motivated by my work. I'm motivated by building up a good body of work. But any financial rewards have always been, you know, that carrot has always been about allowing me to continue to vote in time to my work and keeping me out of the office. But now I need, you know, I, I know that I need more than that. And I know that I need to find a way of getting fired up by the idea of money. There's nothing that I really want. There, there's plenty of gadgets I need. You know, my phone has been broken for so long, for instance. I need a phone. But, you know, I don't really care too much about mobile phones. I need la I need a laptop. That I would certainly replace if I could. I, above all, I want an easier lifestyle. Um, any need for money was always overridden by my need to quit a job or throw something at a boss or get sacked or get into some bust up or beef with a colleague it really was I thrived on that drama I needed to say my piece and I think outside of work I'm someone who can and has learned to accept that I've often been wrong when the recession kicked in I found myself forced to go back to nine to five I did fix my ways with difficulty you know my first effort saw me sacked well the first and third the second job I never actually showed up for then I got my act together in the last three roles and as much as I 
you know, I wanted to walk out of every single one of them. I told them, I, I, t I told myself that I'd had my time. I'd had the P45s, you know. Uh, God, this phone doesn't stop. This is going to be another marketing call. Hello? 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 Nonce call. Yeah, I told myself that it was time to grow up. My point is that I doubt you'll find too many people from around here, from many areas in the country, from people of my background, joining these causes, joining these occupations, because right now the best we can do is survive. We are, in a sense, trapped. Well, these people may claim with some justification they're doing this for society as a whole. I'm not disputing that. For people like me, though, I, I see people who are acting from far more comfortable positions. And I see stereotypes. I'd love to be able to, you know, think more about what is happening beyond my world, outside of my bubble. But I, I am struggling to survive. I am. I don't have that support network that a lot of these people do. And not many of my friends do. And... I've noticed what, you know, and it's a combination of not no longer being able to, to afford, like, you know, broadsheets, as I used to buy for, for, for the best part of 20 years, and constantly chasing my tail, that I'm no longer as well informed about the world as I used to be. I don't really gather my news information from the internet. I've never liked reading newspapers online. I'll read the sport, but I, I, I so miss reading uh, a print version of a newspaper. I would read it, you know, uh, front to back, every single section. Even if it took me a week to read the other sort of unnecessary sections, well, I wouldn't read the travel. I, uh, you know, I'm not interested in that. But there are a lot of us who cannot step out of this world that we're in because it's just chasing us every day. It's hounding us. It's affecting us in every single way. I saw this uh, job today. Uh, being advertised at Spurs administrator 19 grand a year I don't know what kind of person would go for that kind of job who would be comfortable working with millionaires why would you go for that job would you would you be slightly starstruck would you be hoping for for a chance encounter with one of the players so you could tell your mates so you'd be happy on 19 grand a year to to try and snatch five minutes with uh, you know some young millionaire I don't understand that it's why I quit being a football journalist, uh, well, one of uh, several reasons, probably the biggest reason though. Other reasons, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, magazines. I wasn't a fan of uh, the, 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 the stories that editors were starting to demand. Exclusives became a rare thing. You know, I'll travel around uh, around Europe. I caught one, uh, one player trying to sneak out of training after I'd gone all the way to... Uh, Sweden to interview him, you know, I'd, I'd be tired, I'd barely slept, I'd sleep in airports, press officers too afraid to approach the players, uh, you know, and I was often older than the people I was interviewing, uh, except the African players, I think, I'm sure they were older than me, the guys I, I interviewed, there was no way I was buying that they were 25, 26, I don't care what anyone says there, um, and I was speaking to someone who told me they were once a steward at a football match. Again, you see these stewards on match of the day stopping the young millionaires from celebrating their goals. How demeaning. Where is your self-respect? What are you? You're on £8 an hour to do that? To try and hold back 
millionaires who've been in the gym are going to be able to overpower you. And I'm talking about this because, uh, well, partly because of that job I've seen advertised. And also because uh, the other night with Mickey on the show uh, on Please Don't Hug Me, uh, uh, I made a, 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 a reference to a former, you know, to, to a childhood hero of mine who I've got no beef with, Kenny Dalgleish. Uh, great player. Still better for me than any player in the modern premiership. If you're... Uh, if you were born in the Premiership era and you don't know how great a player this guy was, just go on YouTube because he was just... What he does even now would take your breath away. Phenomenal player for a period after Cruyff's decline in the late 70s and before the rise of Maradona. There's every chance, I think... Uh, I think it might have been Beckenbauer who said it, that for a period, Kenny Dalglish was probably the world's best player. But it was just a, you know, I made a reference to how where he was when he was notified that Liverpool wanted him to be caretaker manager. You know, he was on a cruise around the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying these these kind of holidays, they're not, you know, they're not the kind of holidays that the Scousers are going to be able to go on. They're not the kind of holidays that you know me and my friends are going to be able to go on. These guys live, they live in a different world. Why would you go? Why would you want to go? You know, be around these people who earn so much more than you, who live in a completely different world to you, who are far more comfortable than you. They can tell you, yeah, the fans mean everything, and I'm sure they believe that themselves, but they cannot relate to you and I anymore, just as we can't relate to them. There is a disconnection. There's too much money there. People say, well, you would take the money if it was offered to you. No, I wouldn't. I know what I'm like. I know that in my world, the money that I have walked away from, the financial opportunities that I've walked away from in the past because money hasn't been uh, the most important thing to me. I couldn't do it. I couldn't earn that kind of money. I know there's a market rate. I know uh, some top player thinks uh, or knows that some other player is getting such and such an amount. He's going to want parity. I understand that. It will take a very strong person to say, no, I don't need this amount of money. Just pay me this. This is enough for me and my family. There's going to be very few players who do that you know there have been players like Fernando Redondo my favorite player of the last 20 years who when he got injured at Milan after three or four games refused to take a salary yeah great gesture already a millionaire still a great gesture but yeah I don't know who's going to apply for that job 19 grand a year at Spurs I don't understand why you would uh, I would imagine it would be someone very young if they're if, I'd, I'd be troubled if they were over 25 applying for that kind of job because uh, they really ought to know better uh changing tack was at the dentist yesterday uh for a checkup man in a waiting room with a woman a man the same man who i've seen with numerous women just the previous day i'd seen him with another one he always says hello to me i i, I can't remember where we started saying hello for the first time but i'm wondering what's the protocol there you know i got a good poker face there was no way his latest woman was going to register my surprise at seeing her with him. But, you know, it's getting a bit much for me now. And I think he's happy that, I, that I've seen him with so many women. He, he, he wants me to know that he bangs a lot of women. But I did not know how to, how to handle that yesterday in the waiting room. So I was still unsettled when I went up to see my new dentist. I've had this goatee thing going on for a month. I've never had the growth that my designs and facial hair visions merited. And I, you know, I, I, I am a facial hair visionary. I turned up and this new dentist had an even more flamboyant goatee than mine. He had the old zapper tuft under the bottom lip thing going on. I thought, man, we look like a right pair of uh, knobs here. Such a confined space. Two of us with flamboyant goatees. 
after I was gone, I, I would imagine he probably would have had words with the reception to see about trading me in uh, with another of the patients that another dentist would have been seeing there. The hygienist was just looking at us, knowing full well that we were both uneasy. It was, uh, I don't know whether the situation would have been better had we made uh, light of our mutual goatees. Uh, maybe I could, you know, should have made a reference to how uh, significantly shorter my tuft was to his. I don't know. I think we both just pretended we were clean shaven. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good moment. Incidentally, I couldn't tell what sex the hygienist was, and I think that's important under those circumstance, uh, circumstances. I almost feel like you should be allowed to ask. I couldn't work out whether it was a feminine-looking bloke or a masculine-looking woman. But anyway, I came home. I, I shaved it off uh, straight away. I was actually going to trim it off before the dentist, but the trimmer hadn't charged uh, sufficiently. You're listening to the uh, Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast, Love, Loss and Lattes, uh, coming to you from SW8. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at 1607WestEgg or email the show DRT at WestEgg1607.co.uk. Now time for this week's uh, song, Overkill. Me this week, I'm going for the uh, Smashing Pumpkins uh, tonight. Tonight, uh, Billy Corgan's distinctive voice. Is he Billy Corgan? I, I meant to check this earlier on today. Let me just quickly check his name. I'm pretty sure it is. But I'm a, I'm a, I like the Smashing Pumpkins sound. Uh, it's very sort of, it's up there for me. Uh, you know, maybe one tier below uh, New Order. Some of their sort of mid '90s uh, stuff and interesting that, uh, you know, the singer was involved in the New Order's comeback album, Get Ready, in 2001. So I, I really like this song. I like a lot of their stuff. I've got all of their albums now. And uh, I'm hoping that I can get to know uh, uh, some of the albums that I don't know of over the next uh, few days. Um, sorry, let me just check. Yeah, yeah, Billy, Billy Corgan. Um, yeah, it's him. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Smashing Pumpkins fan without knowing too much uh, about them. Uh, hello, Bonobo. These are the days of our lives, uh, Queen. I was never a massive uh, fan myself. Uh, though I recognise Freddie Mercury was an incredible live performer, if a limited vocalist, I think it's fair to say. But uh, then the final album, whatever it was called, uh, came out just before he died, and I bought a few of the singles from the album. I was really surprised it wasn't all well. It wasn't all stadium rock. I think my issue with Queen was it was the uh, kind of music that gets played at sporting events, which usually means it's shit. I'd hate to be a musician and suffer that fate. Uh, I've got an issue with anthems. I've got an issue with audiences singing along to your songs. That would kill me. When a singer stops singing and holds the mic out to the audience for them to sing the words, that really pisses me off. It's not a buffet. Uh, I've paid £25 to see you. Do your job. You know, this is not Pizza Hut, the lunch hour where you just get up and serve yourself. You know, you're at the table. You're waiting to be, uh, you know, you're waiting to be dealt with. You're waiting for them to come to you. You know, I want my singer to come to me. I don't want, I don't want to do his job. Uh, I think there was another... Uh, Second part to that email there from uh, Bonobo. Okay, yeah, there she says, uh, I watched the documentary on Freddy and just fell in love with it. Uh, the lovely William Stafford, copyright Mickey Boy, Diamonds Are Forever, the title song from one of those Jimmy Bond songs, I forget which, as performed by Shirley Bassey. It is fabulous, dramatic, and glamorous, not unlike myself in more deluded moments. Uh, diamonds, she sings, are better than men. She doesn't need love. Love doesn't last, but diamonds do. Well, Shirley, my dear, says William, we've all been hurt by love, but not all of us can afford to compensate with precious stones. Change the keyword to something within my price range, like a DVD, and I might be able to identify 
Sully Casper this week. Miracles by Norwegian Recycling. I tweeted this link and got no feedback, but it really is rather amazing. It has sampled vocals from about 10 artists stitched together into a catchy anthem. I found this, as it is, tangentially related to bad lip reading on YouTube. I'm an admirer of talent, but also hard work, and this would have to take a lot. I guarantee you'll play it more than once. As we just had a, a text from Mickey here, that was him calling on the uh, landline to see if I would be using his things. Don't let it be said that the man has an ego. Uh, EV80, the uh, uh, potty mouth EV80, uh, another song overkill from my childhood, the only one I know by the charlatans. I first heard it when I was about nine or ten. My friend and I climbed through the back window of the town hall, gate crashing someone's 18th birthday party. Um, this song was playing when a lad un unknown to us gave us a packet of crisps and let us hide under the table. That evening brought a whole new world of music to me and my first crush. I stalked that lad for the next two years. I think I've mentioned before, certainly on Twitter, uh, in conversations with EV80 and Pete Domican, that Manchester was the only musical movement that I could ever claim to have been involved with. Every other movement passed me by. Admittedly, I got into the you know fag end of it, sort of spring of 1990, but it was a great time in my life. I was... Uh, 17 got into the clothes the haircuts and and that's why the charlatan song is a big thing for me i wouldn't say it was the best song of that era but the hairstyle uh you know the long fringe and uh i had long hair that year by the end of that year i had very long hair but i started growing it at the start of that year the late 80s was all about steps and wedges and I was growing out the step and, you know, be having competitions with Nellie Jenkins about who could come up with the weirdest hairstyles and the longest fringes. And, uh, yeah, when I saw that uh, Tim guy, I think Tim Burgess's uh, hairstyle, I was, like, blown away. And I kept the fringe for most of the year. And I had a job in the uh, winter of 1990. And they were calling me Demi Moore there because uh, it was around the time Ghost came out, which I still haven't seen. And Demi Moore had this uh, wedgehead hairstyle. And I guess I had a similar hairstyle. But, uh, yeah. Manchester, a big thing for me. Uh, Thornite, uh, Mr. Daniel, uh, Force the Forces by TDL. It reminds me of roller skating, quite bizarre. I had no idea who they were. I wouldn't know how to describe this song. I'm not that articulate, I think, when it comes to music. Um, I played it, though, and I liked it. And I'll play it again. I've never heard of them. I don't even know what TDL stands for. I don't know if it's something like the Doctor's Laboratory. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was it was a decent song. Richard P. 1975, field music, all you'd ever need to say. Angular, complex in, uh, instrumentals, and warm harmonies. Nick M. B. The uh, three new REM songs from their career-ending best of, especially Hallelujah. I think Nick's been in touch before with his love of uh, REM. Uh, Michael Stipe, brilliant voice. I've always said that. I was wasn't so keen on REM, but uh, I did recognise he had a very distinctive voice. Not sure they're even any good, continues Nick. Might just be flogging them to death because they're the last ones ever. Uh, Pete Domican, uh, this week's song overkills is uh, Johnny Dangerously, Black and Blue. Uh, John Bramwell from I Am Clute, a lost gem from 1990. I'm not sh I, I, I don't know any of that. Hopefully uh, Pete can uh, um, enlighten me uh, on Twitter. Pete goes on to say, I introduced him on stage at the Mean Fiddler in London. He later enjoyed some success as the lead singer with I Am Clute. Okay. Okay, that makes sense now. Um, what is going on today? Just had an email now asking if I'm paying too much life insurance. I have no insurance. I have no pension. I have nothing. Ladies, beyond the aesthetic, beyond the podcasts, 
I'm no catch. Keep saying it. Be happy who you're with. Don't be leaving your men for me. I've got nothing for you. And, uh, you know, with this over-expensive storage heating economy 7 heating setup thing I've got here, there's no point me, point in me uh, even attempting to make love throughout the winter because the performances just aren't going to be there. I can only perform a f for a few months of the year. I think my bedroom should actually be taken away from me in the winter and I maybe just sleep in the front room, then it gets brought back in the spring. Uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine, the broken genius of the East Midlands. Don't panic, writes uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine. My song overkill this week is not another lame attempt at trying to impress EB80, nor is it another blighted campaign to give much-needed promotion to more late 80s failed hair metal bands. Yeah, Jason uh, killed everyone with Donny V last week. Uh, a very strange Twitter account then emerged a few days later, <laughs> claiming to be Donny V, berating <laughs> Pete beat Dominican for referring to Donny V as a racket, which was kind on Pete's part. I don't think we'll ever have a worse song overkill than Donny V. Uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine continues, I remember someone talking on last week's show about the soundtrack to their O-Levels, which made me hark back to the spring of 1986 when I was sitting my O-Levels for the first time. I bought... Talk Talk's album, The Colour of Spring, on a bit of a whim, and over time grew to absolutely love it. It remained a permanent fixture on my Sanyo MIDI system turntable for the entire period that I sat in my bedroom, staring vacantly at textbooks that meant absolutely nothing to me. Some truly wonderful songs on the album, including Happiness is Easy and Life's What You Make It, which I've been playing in the car this week, and I'm delighted to report have stood the test of time very well. I hope this restores some credibility to my character after poor old Donny V's finest <laughs> Poor old Donny V's finest hour was labelled as the worst ever sung overkill submission last week. Warmest regards from the East Midlands, Billy Two Rivers Nine. I don't know too much. Uh, I'm not too familiar with Talk Talk. I think my uh, only uh, encounters with their music come through uh, Silly Casper, who's a, a bit of a fan. Um, you can now, time permitting, find uh, every song overkill on the blog, 1607westegg.wordpress.com. Should go up every Thursday night, having said that. It's coming up to 8 o'clock now uh, on Thursday evening. I don't know if it will go up tonight. I would like to uh, unwind once I uh, get the podcast up. Uh, you can see everyone's picks, though, once it's up there, and maybe scratch your head again at Twitter Maverick, Billy Two Rivers Nine's love of uh, Donny V. You know what I'd like to do next week? I'd like to make it a historical song overkill. Which song do you just keep coming back to from time to time and playing? I'd like to know. Uh, right, got a new feature here. Let me just uh, see. Okay. Not sh Let me just see if there's something else I can uh, do before. Okay. Right. So that song overkills. Anyway, historical song overkill next week. Berets, I struggle with berets. I find berets a, a bit pretentious. I think they're acceptable if you're in France. Otherwise, it kind of feels like you're dating Frank Spencer. Also suggests to me, hints at a feeling on their part that a normal hat is not enough. That it has to be a beret, that no other hat will do. I see a girl in a beret and I think, man, it's only a matter of time before this woman discovers I can't keep her in the lifestyle she's accustomed to. What are your feelings on the beret? I think there was some Twitter stuff on there. It might have, I don't know if it was Silly Casper going on about berets. I've been slated in the past myself for uh, tweeting my sentiments on berets. Uh, other news. 
There is a new soap dispenser in the Cafe Lou. Shiny, it's just a push button. Uh, so you don't have to use like the palm of your hand now to push it in. You only have to use a finger. The, uh, the downside is you can't use, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I would just use the elbow. Um, that's not going to work now. I'm using the join of my finger. Still very few people, though, in there washing their hands despite the new dispenser's uh, presence. I turn on the taps. I dry my hands. I step out. The regulars look at me like uh, I'm uh, I'm from the future. It's a, it's a discomforting moment. Okay, a new feature. Uh, I... Put this out on Twitter today. Hairstyles you loathe. Hairstyles that you hated on men or women. Ideally people you were with. Uh, in a, you were in a relationship with. Or maybe even your present partner. It may have been that their early hairstyles grated. But you didn't know them well enough to say so. Kind of like the desert boot scenario if you remember. You know my story about being with someone. Uh, started a relationship with them just weeks after I bought my desert boots. In the late 90s they loved the desert boots. Inevitably the desert boots became the focus of their disenchantment with me a couple of years later. It always happens. The things they love become the things they don't love anymore. Um, okay, me, I, I, I was with one girl who had short hair, uh, one side shave, and it was a bit of a flamboyant hairstyle for me, you know, a bit of colour in the hair. I'll say this, she did suit short hair. She had a, you know, good neck, good neck, did, did suit it. She had a small, small head. Unusually, I, I, like I say, I date normally dated girls with large heads uh there was nothing to hang on to though that was the problem if you want to pull the hair to gain some leverage and hit a home run if you're struggling you know you're on a recession diet yeah 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 you're, you're struggling for breath you're not as fit as you were you need that leverage you know it's uh, these are stressful times you're in a poorly insulated flat you need every advantage you can get a woman will leave you for the smallest of reasons yeah, if, you, if she hasn't been to the nail salon for a couple of weeks because you're out of work, you need to be out there hitting that bell if you follow. Other notable hairstyles that were a problem for me, uh, well, I, I don't think I could top the wig. There was a girl with a wig. Nothing prepared me for the wig. How I didn't know it was a wig, I'll never know. Looking back now, it was so obvious it was a wig. Didn't find out it was a wig till, you know, we were... You know, doing what we were doing, and uh, the wig came off. That was uh, that's on uh, that's something I've written about in the past. That was uh, I've never been so lost for words. Even at my disciplinaries, I was able to find the words to respond to to being told that you are dismissed. Uh, Thornite, um, no issues with hairstyles. Just simply depends if it fits the face. Short, uh, short back and sides belongs in the 90s. Should stay there, he adds. Uh, Richard P, 1975. I remember when I first got with my wife, she was due for a perm the following week. I dreaded it, but luckily it looked fine. Uh, Richard adds, when I was about 13, my then girlfriend finished with me because I had a severe haircut. 13. I wasn't done sharing a bed with my dad until I was 17. And there's kids dating at 13 back in what I'm assuming would have been the late 80s obviously now chances are you've had a few partners at 13 I mean there are babies being born particularly in Lambeth these days that are already parents you work that one out um severe haircut though you know what that always brings uh, to mind Michael Douglas in falling down it it can be a good haircut it can be a good haircut Pete uh, Domican the long bob cut, impossible to start a relationship in such circumstances and impossible to suggest getting it cut. Very true. That's it. That's what I'm saying. 
very early on you can't they're, they're, you're working out what you like and what you don't like about people you're working out their little ticks and that but a, a, a bad hairstyle the, the best you can hope for under those circumstances until you get comfortable with them is that you grow comfortable with it uh, easy nova brazilians uh i'm old school like a good cover and obviously uh he got the uh, wrong end of the stick there so i i tweeted him back and said we're talking about head on the hair and uh, Easy Nova got back to me saying, not keen on the scrape back into a ponytail look, just uh, plain lazy. Was it Louise Mensch, the MP, who who, I think that's her a look recently. It's not too bad. I don't think it's too bad. Uh, it, it it did strike me as unusual when I saw her with that hairstyle, but, uh, you know, I've seen worse. Kitchen Sinking responded to Easy Nova's uh, scrape back tweet by uh, referring to it as the uh, Croydon, uh, Croydon facelift. Uh, Chrissy, eat my halo. Uh, the teen smear, all wiped one way with a flick at the end. It makes me scream inside. I've uh, I've gone on about this before. Uh, that's I think that's my favourite tweet here because I think that is a ridiculous hairstyle. It's these guys who go around with it constantly checking their hair is in place. In the first place, it's swept across from an unnatural angle, and I don't think guys should spend so much time on their hair. Your hair should look good almost immediately it shouldn't require that much work it's a ridiculous hairstyle unless you're in a band you know that 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 hairstyle has no place in uh, you know modern society you cannot be going to a shop to buy a pint of milk looking like that it's it's a stupid hairstyle i will not talk to anyone who has that kind of hair i would rather be bald than have a, a you know hair like that it is ridiculous i once had a fringe briefly i was growing it out and uh, the girl I was with at the time would go absolutely mental. She actually, I kid you not, refused to go out with me one day um, because I, I had the fringe. We were living together at the time. I had the fringe. And uh, now I think there's so much to applaud in her decision, in her stance. Uh, uh, full respect. She has my full respect for that decision that day. Higgs Boson won. Um, I have that. I hate that thing they do with the pink streaks running through it and the Claudia Winkleman fringe and Claudia Winkleman. I'm not a fan of Claudia Winkleman. I do like a fringe myself, though. I think if a girl has beautiful eyes, the fringe can set that off. Uh, Higgs Boson 1 adds, in addition, the long, lank, thin, washed-out perm look that anemic-looking Christian females always seem to sport. He doesn't like that look. Uh... Richard P, 1975, again, as a tennis fan, I used to hate the female players mullet type thing going on. Navratilova, Billie Jean King, Steffi, Sabatini, Sanchez Vicario, and so on. I thought Sabatini, I remember, I mean, I, I don't think it's much better now, but uh, women tennis players in the 80s and early 90s were not much to look at. Sabatini turned up, very sort of masculine figure. Yeah, pretty, but very masculine in the way she carried herself. But, uh, you know, the world went mad for Sabatini. Uh... Alice, uh, Alice Smurf, uh, worst hair was the scraggly uh, metal dude trying to grow it, uh, but didn't really have thick enough hair to carry it off. Looked greasy. I have some right beauties in my ex list. Uh, the teenage years, she adds. Uh, Peaches and scream. Uh, I once accidentally shaved my name in the back of a boyfriend's head. I'm assuming that she didn't like that. Uh, adds uh, one. Used to one of her boyfriends uh, used to wash his hair with washing up liquid, so it was all dry and crispy. Made me feel a bit sick. I've never come across anyone who washed their hair with fairy liquid. That's uh, that's bizarre. 
Uh, the lovely William Stafford, copyright Mickey Boyd. Hello, Daniel. You asked fellas what hairstyles they hate the ladies to have. This is very heterocentric of you. It is, that's true. Uh, speaking in general terms, I don't like to see women with their hair scraped back into a ponytail uh, so tightly it gives them a facelift, uh, a bit like Easy Nova earlier. I also dislike those as uh, asymmetrical cuts that women approaching the menopause tend to have, where they have a long fringe swept to the side, while the other side is clipped very short and even shaved to the back of the neck. To me, it looks like they were distracted in a stylist chair and swiveled at an in inopportune moment, causing this disaster. They then compound this monstrosity with pink or blonde streaks or flecks. Perhaps they are trying to draw attention away from their faces. Looking at blokes, which is my thing, adds William, it's not so much hair that puts me off as the insistence on wearing those oversized baseball caps. Grown men take on the appearance of enormous children. Some women might say this is what we are anyway. I'm not a fan of the full-on fringe of the youths of sport in these days, and this is not born of jealousy because I can, I can no longer grow one honest. It's not. Uh, well, that goes back to Eat My Halo's uh, tweet about the fringes. They are they are ridiculous. I, I, I've said it before, I think, uh, I think that kids should try and find their own hairstyles now you know stop doing this uh, 60s 70s 80s thing try and try and come up with something new you know no one said their uh, hairstyles had to be repeated from uh, from earlier eras uh, let's make this hair we loathe the regular feature keep your tweets coming in any past girlfriend or boyfriend whose hairstyle you struggled with you know drop us a, a, a an email or a tweet i want to talk this week about uh clapham old clapham really Mickey was here the other night and uh, he was looking at the old family photo album and uh, most of those pictures were from Clapham in the 70s. And uh, even as a kid, even as a young kid, I was conflicted by Clapham simply because uh, although I'd done all my schooling there and most of my friends were there, I hated the common. I loved the shops, I loved the high street, had you know incredible times on that high street. The common... You know, it was the place of uh, the teams we set up, Clapham Rovers, in 1980. I had my Observer football book of soccer. Discovered that Clapham Rovers had won the FA Cup in 1880. We quickly set up a team. No one turned up for training except me and Nelly Jenkins one Saturday in 1980. The more successful Clapham Lions uh, were born in 82. We also played on Clapham Common. Then there was Clapham Southside in 1983, who actually played on the north side to confuse matters. I, you know, I loved football. I didn't like the common, um, and I trained there, you know, three, four nights a week with my dad. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was hard work. He was very serious about his football. I was a brilliant keeper, but it was, it was hard going with him, and it was usually the only time we would spend together. I also had this fear of dogs, which I think was passed on to me secondhand, really, through my sister and her friend. We had this uh, close friend. The family used to live with her family when we first came here. And uh, either she got bitten twice or her older sister, I think, was originally bitten. We heard the story. That made us anxious. And then my sister actually saw her friend bitten. My, my sister was actually there when a friend was bitten around the corner. Uh, they were up, they were heading somewhere and she got bitten by an Alsatian. Um, so, you know, I was unnerved by dogs. Uh, then I had an incident. I, I was eight. My sister was seven. Summer of 1980. Slush puppies were all the rage. We, we were on our own walking to the shops. And uh, this Alsatian classic 70s dog, Rex, chased my sister around the car, sensed her fear. Um, owner called the dog over. You know, it could have been a lot. You know, it could have been, you know, it could have been a bad situation. Thankfully, it wasn't. I'm not a fan of animals. Uh, I've bonded with the odd dog. 
it's a it's a hygiene thing but also i think uh you know uh one of many genuine phobias um i struggle with cats that's certainly a hygiene thing um but clapham uh clapham common uh i think it's overrated i think it's uh dirty got the issue with dogs issue with dogs mess I remember also playing uh, my cousin's uh, square. We used to have great football games in Brixton, but everyone there had fierce dogs. <clears throat> Nothing, obviously, like what today's dogs are, but uh, there was one black dog there. I remember. I can't remember what breed it was. I don't think it was a Labrador. I don't know what it was. It was called Lady. When that dog came out into the square, it was like when King Kong first appears in the film, the original film, and all the natives scatter. But anyway, back to the comma. My dad's disappointment every time my performance fell away when a dog came up to me or near the goal. He'd absolutely lose his rag, which just exacerbated the problem. I'd go from keeping a clean sheet in the game to suddenly losing my concentration. With a dog behind me, I'd start flapping at crosses, I'd start spilling shots. Obviously, it's not an anxiety I'd want to pass on to kids. If I had kids, I'm mindful of that. The hygiene thing, I think I'd still stick with. I mean... You know, when, when, when you're around people who have animals, you do wonder how anal are they going to be about washing their hands? Are they going to wash their hands every time they, uh, you know, touch the animal? When, when you're there, are they going to serve you a drink? That Will they wash their hands if they've been touching the animal? Probably not. You know, probably not. They, they'd have, It wouldn't be a big deal to them, but it's a big deal to me. And, uh, you know, it's not just cats, but dog owners are always covered in their animals' hair. They have the animals in their beds. I, I, I don't get that. But anyway, um, yeah, seeing these pictures the other night, it just, I mean, Clapham High Street was, uh, it was, uh, it was an adventure for a young kid. And that, that just isn't there anymore. It isn't there. It's bar after bar after bar after delicatessen after overpriced cafe. It's, that's the sadness I have about Clapham. And, you know, my, I have to remember, I have to work hard to remember that originally my home was Clapham. That's what I regarded as home. Stockwell really was something that I would pass through three, four nights a week because I'd have the uh, Spanish uh, school thing at the uh, the old consulate school just across the road from where I am now. But really, uh, you know, Clapham was where I did all the schooling. Clapham was where my friends were. And it became this thing for, you know, as soon as I hit my late teens, I just thought, I don't like this. I don't like the way this is going. When I was working in the paint shop in 1990, and I was seeing a lot of the building work that was starting to go on, I was seeing a lot of the old shops close down, I started to feel uh, a sadness that at some point probably turned to anger and frustration at what had happened. And I don't know too many people who don't feel like that about Clapham. It is nowhere near as good as it, as it is. It's uh, in trying to be trendy, and it is trendy, there's no doubt about it, it has just become, it's become just something very wanky, and uh, I'm sure they've got some things right, they certainly have, the cinema was a, a welcome addition, the bar by the cinema was unnecessary, the uh, French market on Ben Street is, pfft, that's just an example of how wanky it can be, you know, the Belgos, the Starbucks, all these places, unnecessary unnecessary what was there before was better it was more more variety and there's so many little kids missing out on being able to explore the old market the old bazaar in the way that you know me and my sister and my cousins and my friends all could you know you could lose yourself in clapham market 
and uh, the memories, you know, the bad memory is the the common. I will never like the common. The fact that my dad died there, to be honest, is it's just an addendum. I don't think that changes how I feel about the common. I think that just makes me sadder. He loved the common. I don't think it would have been a big deal for him. Uh, well, I mean, I think dying is a big deal for anyone, but uh, I think I could take some uh, warmth from the fact that he passed away on a place that was very close to his heart but it was not close to my heart and we had a problem there because he kept making me go there um there was one part of the common the i, I always you got the big part of the common where all the concerts are held where you got the circuses the fairgrounds you got the big boats in lakes you got the fishing ponds that's you know clapham that stretches really from clapham common all the way through to clapham south but you got two small patches before that you've got a part which is probably the most beautiful where the old paddling pool is but there's lots of winos there unfortunately and lots of trees so you very rarely played football there though that is where my very early goalkeeper training at four years of age started and i've got those pictures here in the in the flat but it was the middle part of the common where i did most of my training and that was largely because my dad realized we had a problem with the dogs, that I was never going to be able to uh, function properly if we didn't find somewhere quiet to train. And, uh, yeah, looking at those pictures, it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was sad. A counselor once asked me why I always played in goal, um, saying it was interesting that rather than participating, I was just observing. And it was always a way in because I was, you know, I was so good. That uh, often, uh, you know, often I'd be in jobs where uh, people would be hostile towards me because they saw me as aloof and uh, uh, challenging and uh, not one to muck in. And then they'd, uh, you know, maybe be short of numbers for football and call me in. I'd play in goal. And I always knew it was easy for me. I knew that by performing well in goal and that I was capable of performing well in goal that I would suddenly get them on side. There'd be one thing we had in common, which was a love of football. And I always did that trick. And it was very easy. And there was nothing spontaneous about it. And the year my mum passed away, I was I was outstanding that year. I mean, I was just playing to stay sane until uh, I busted my nose badly, leading to uh, rhinoplasty too. And a couple of years ago, when match had three weeks left, I put in, you know, one night, May 2009, I put in a phenomenal performance, probably the greatest goalkeeping performance I ever put in in a game. I was unbeatable that night. And I had emails from the team the following day saying they'd never seen me stop everything in the way that I had that night. For two hours, basically, no matter what was going on, I could just shut my mind down. And that's why when I broke my foot uh, a couple of years ago and was told that I could never play again after the misdiagnosis, I mean, that, I never had that outlet anymore. And I think that, you know, I think that impacted, you know, on me. Uh, football was a good outlet. You know, yeah, I can work out. I do work out. It's not the same. You know, there's, you're not part of a team. You're not mixing with people. You're not doing something that you love. Um, and even even though the common I did find difficult, I had many great times there. It was just the, it, 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 it could just be an ordeal. You know, it could be an ordeal. The dogs, the dog mess, the fact that I had no choice in whether I went or not. Um, but everyone knew us in the high street. You know, we take three balls. Uh, sometimes my sister would come along. She had a blue tracksuit. I had a red tracksuit. You know, my dad would be bouncing one ball. I'd be holding on to my ball. My sister would be holding on to her ball. And uh, passing all these shops. You know, Clapham. You know, I did love Clapham. And that's uh, that's why what happened to Clapham saddens me. 
Uh, just wrapping up the show very quickly. Uh, before I go, uh, the Keep Your Head Appeal uh, regular listeners, you'll know what happened to me last year. If you are new, show 31 is a good place to start, or you'll find uh, much of the info on the uh, fundraising page, uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Uh, uh, so far, I think between three four hundred pounds has been raised. Uh, donations will be restricted to the uh, to the adult psychotherapy fund, as I requested. Humbled, uh, as always, by large and small donations. Um, go on there, donate anything large or small. To those of you that have already, uh, thank you. I know these are tough times for everyone. A retweet will be more than enough. Uh, five more shows after this. This this appeal will run to Christmas Eve, and then uh, all the money does go to uh, to the hospital. Uh, the address again: uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes. You can also listen to the show via Jellycast and Mixcloud, and we're now on Stitcher Radio. Go to stitcher.com. Mickey Boyd says it's the best way to listen if you're using a phone to listen to the show. Says it's far more versatile than uh, iTunes, and I do believe it's uh, uh, a few other people uh, have said the same thing. Uh, speaking of Mickey, our 50th Please Don't Hug Me show uh, came out a couple of nights ago, a 100-minute special also featuring Fat Man on a Couch, Stuart Armstrong, comedian Rasheen Ray, and the Soul Cruiser Clay Lowe. We've had a brilliant response to that. If you haven't downloaded it yet, worth checking out. Um, apologies tonight, I've kind of felt tired as this show has gone on really i don't know if the the show from a couple of nights ago has caught up with me apologies if uh you don't think this uh you know you don't think i was on form tonight um follow the show as always via twitter at 1607 west egg email drt at west egg 1607.co.uk uh join the uh, facebook uh group the daniel ruiz tyson podcast group ask to join i'll accept your request you can post comments on there or alternatively, stick to, um, you know, you can post on the blog, 1607westegg.wordpress.com. I'm off to uh, go and heat up this tortilla. Um, I'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson, and I think you know I'm never going bald. Next week, people. Next week. <laughs>